0: Good morning. Today's reading is from 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 20 to 25. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating from doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threat instead he endured himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body and on the cross so that we might die to to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you were being, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
1: Ah, good morning. Am I live? There you go. I'm on. Um, thank you all for being here and for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I'd like to start by uh, soliciting your help on something. This is my uh, daughter Esther. Our daughter, Esther, she's one and a half years old, and the help that I need from you is to figure out whom she actually looks more like, (laughs) me or my wife, Linda. So I'll show you a picture of Linda, and then a picture of me, but by the end of this, I can put hand on heart and say that you're probably going to say it's me, okay? So let's let's, just do this. Linda, yeah, she has some resemblance, but me, okay? That's exactly what I, yeah, I know. It's resounding. It's the, the similarity is so obvious right there. So, that to say, we as parents, we like, we, we want our children to look, we love it when, when people say that we look like our children, or our children look like us. And we want our children to have at least the good characteristics that we have, that they would adopt. You know what? God, our Heavenly Father, is not different. He's the same. He wants us to be like Him. And in uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1, we are told to be imitators of God as dear children. And also in Colossians 1:15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That is to say that if we imitate Jesus, if you look to Jesus and do what He did, that means that we are also imitating God and thereby We are uh, becoming like God in in the process. This has been the plan of God all along. In Romans 8.29, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God wants us to become like Jesus. And when we become like Jesus, it means that we do what Jesus did. We think like Jesus thought. And we have the heart of Jesus, and then we become like Jesus. We see that particular uh, sentiment said here in 1 John 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought also to walk as he walked. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because today, this whole idea is the concept for our new sermon series beginning this morning. Our new sermon series for the second quarter of 2018 is called Becoming Like Jesus. And what we're going to do for the months of April, May, and June is we are going to look at facets of our Christian lives and we're going to pattern it against Jesus and what he did throughout all these uh, concepts and facets of life and then we will learn from the Master himself. In so doing, we will stay true to what God wants us to do and is foundational in our faith to become like Jesus. That is ultimately what we want to do in life. So, for the first lesson this morning, on this topic, I'm going to talk to you about something that is not foreign to any of us. It's something that happens to us pretty much every day, and it's something that we endure every day. I'm talking about suffering. And because it's the first lesson in a sermon series called Becoming Like Jesus, we're going to look at suffering against the backdrop of Jesus. So, the title of our lesson this morning is, is endure suffering like Jesus. Endure suffering like Jesus. The suffering that we're going to talk about here is, is sort of the generic suffering you know, that, 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 that we encounter pretty much every day. The trials that we face, the problems that, that, uh, that come our way, the difficulties that knock uh, at our front door every single day, the bad things that happen in our lives. How do we endure such suffering? One of the biggest points that we're going to make this morning, and the thing that would really turn our attitudes towards a Christian view of suffering, is the purpose of the trials that we face in life, of the suffering that we face in life. Why do we face them? For what purpose? And when we understand that and see how Jesus uh, wrestled with that idea in his mind, The way that he endured suffering, we will be well on our way to be able to endure suffering like Jesus. So, this morning we're going to divide our lesson into two simple parts. And these two parts are going to be in a form of questions. The first question that we're going to ask is How did Jesus endure suffering? And as we look at Jesus and apply his suffering to our lives and how he endured suffering, we're going to ask the question How should we endure suffering? So, the first question is this How did Jesus endure suffering? We all know that Jesus did endure suffering. We heard Chad talk about that earlier. And in the prayers for the emblems, for the Lord's Supper, we understand that Jesus suffered. It is because, for the most part, Jesus took off his deity aside and willingly came to earth to become a human being like us. And because he did that, he was exposed to the same troubles, problems, difficulties, sufferings as we experience even today. In uh, Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is our high priest, and he sympathizes with us. And he knows what we're going through, because he suffered it all, and then some. When, uh, uh, he, when he decided to come to earth, he knew exactly his one mission when He was on earth. It's to die on the cross for our sins. To suffer for us. That's how He was supposed to serve us. He knew that all along. But it didn't come easy to Him. And we know that because of His prayer. In Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if You are willing, take this cup from me. He's praying to God, Please, if it's possible, let, let me not do this. But we know he endured the suffering and his attitude toward enduring the suffering by the second thing that he said in this particular verse. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want to do, but what you want to do. So what we're going to do now for this first part is we're going to look at how Jesus suffered. We're going to have a little inkling of what happened to him just uh, to the point uh, leading to the cross. And... uh, the point is for us to really understand that Jesus suffered, and he endured it, and that uh, it will give us an appreciation of when we say, well, Jesus died for you and me, right? And we, we will understand that he is the best advocate that we can have with God, because he understands what it's like to suffer. Let's begin in Luke chapter 22, verse 48. Jesus knew what it's like to be betrayed by somebody that's really close to him. We've experienced that before. Some of us have had that, ha- have had that happen to us. Luke twenty two forty eight. 48. Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas was one of the 12 apostles that Jesus loved. That Jesus spent a lot of time with. That Jesus mentored. And he betrayed him. And that betrayal led to Jesus' arrest. And when Jesus was arrested, that was the time when the disciples deserted him and fled, as we read in Matthew 26, verse 56. See, in our lives today, some of us have been deserted by people in our lives. People have fled. And some of us face problems and difficulties and suffering alone. That is what Jesus did leading to the cross. He was about to face the most horrible death ever, by himself, alone. That's why Chad talked about Peter denying him three times. You know why he did that? Because he did not want to be associated with someone who is about to die through the capital punishment at the time. When people said, oh, this guy was with Jesus. He said, no, 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 I don't know him. Because he did not want to be implicated and suffer the same fate as Jesus. Jesus was deserted and left to suffer alone. Some of us can relate to that. Next, Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused. Matthew 26, verse 30. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. Meaning, they found uh, Jesus was not guilty of anything that they can try him for. He was accused. You know, sometimes that happens to us at work, maybe at home, maybe with our friends, and that leads us to some suffering and problems. But Jesus knows exactly what that's like. But then, after that, Jesus knows exactly as well what it's like to be physically abused and mocked. Look at verse chapter 26 of Matthew, verses 67 and 68. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Now, with all of the details of the account that, uh, that leads up to Jesus' crucifixion, this particular one here is one that, to me, is one of the most poignant, one of the most striking. Imagine you were there, seeing this, knowing what we know now. They are spitting in Jesus' face, and they were punching him. Think about it and let it sink. they were punching him jesus the son of god but look at the second part others slapped him and said prophesy to us messiah who hit you i had this idea that there's so many people that are trying to punch him trying to hit him some some people would be like you know like be behind some other people trying to like hit him And going, oh, who hit you? Did you you see that? If you were God, you would know who hit you. He suffered through the mockery and the abuse. Maybe some of us can uh, relate to that. But Jesus suffered that. But you know what happens after this? This is what happens after that. Before he got crucified... He was flogged. That's something that I, for the most part, that I always overlook. He didn't just get crucified there. He was flogged first. Right? The Romans perfected the art of crucifixion by flogging the people that they're going to crucify first. See, the Jewish people, what they did was they flogged uh, 39 times. They lashed people 39 times as punishment. So that, so that they won't exceed 40 times, 40 lashes. But these were not the Jewish people that were persecuting Jesus. These were the Romans. They didn't have a number. It could be less than 39. It could be more than 39. But whatever it is, we know how horrible it, it was. Because we knew exactly what they did. They would tie, they tied Jesus like this on a post, naked. No clothes. We see in, in posters, he has like a little towel. He was naked with his back bare for the lictors to flagellate him. And this is what they used. Some people say it's called the caronine tails, but this one doesn't have nine tails. It has just several tails. Leather straps with bone sharp objects and metal objects at the end. And they would have the lictors like this on the side. And they would do that. And you know what happens? It actually sticks to the skin. But the lictors, they would not take it off like this. You know how would they take it off? Like that. I'm not going to continue on. But you you understand, before Jesus was even crucified, his back and the back of his legs were already meat hamburger. He already had lost so much blood before he even carried his cross. That's why somebody had to help him carry his cross. That's the suffering that Jesus had to go through. And, on, and, and, and then he got crucified. And a little detail here in Matthew 27 verse 35 tells us that they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Somebody wanted Jesus' sandals tunic, shirt or what have you. And they took it all from him. He was crucified with all I can think about is that back thing going on from his flogging. Rubbing against the back of that cross. And you know when you when you get crucified, it's like I don't know how many of you have, have done pull ups before. It's like a pull up, but then you're not pulling yourself up with a bar. Your hands are crucified and you're pulling yourself up with crucified hands. You know how excruciating that is? The other day I had a, I had a splinter and I almost cried. Jesus was crucified. And you know how they would normally die, the people who were crucified? They don't want to lift themselves up anymore. They can't and so they suffocate. They couldn't breathe anymore. Because it's so painful to lift yourself up with your feet crucified and your hands crucified. And sometimes they would break the the, the legs of the people, of the people who were crucified, so they would just die. But we know Jesus didn't, they didn't have to do that with Jesus. He just died. Because of what he had gone through before. And before he died, you know what he did? He let out a cry, Father, Father. Why have you forsaken me? Or God, God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook him to die on the cross for us. Some of us don't have fathers. Some of us fathers left. But Jesus understands a little bit of that. Why did God forsake him? His own son. Well, look at this. Second Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin. His body of purity became sin for the world. And you know what God, uh, how God views sin? He views sin as something that's worthy of death. So he left his son to die on the cross. Now we've seen how Jesus suffered. But the question still stands, and we have not answered it. How did he endure it, or why did he endure it? What motivated him to go through all of that? Our scripture reading this morning told us why. Starting in verse 22, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, because uh, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is how Jesus endured the suffering. And his motivation is seen in verse 24. The reason why he did all of that is because of this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus suffered for us. He did it because he knew the end result. He knew what he was doing it for. He's doing it for us. So that we don't have to go through that. He goes through that himself. There is a purpose for his suffering. And you know what? Verse 21 of this particular passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, our text for today, transitions this very... Uh, Very uh, closely to what we're going to ask in our second question for our lesson this this morning. How should we endure suffering? Because his death is a calling for us to suffer the same. In verse 21, we read, "To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps." See, our sermon series is called "Becoming Like Jesus." In suffering, we can be like Jesus too. He left us an example. And so we can aptly ask the question, how should we endure suffering like Jesus did? And uh, there's a passage in the New Testament that we're going to look at today to answer this question that will uh, closely mimic what, what, how we should endure suffering like Jesus did. And it's found... In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. I'll read it first. James 1, 2 to 5. We read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, I... Uh, we experience suffering, trials, problems, and difficulties of many sorts. Some of them, it's because of our doing. Like what Chad said earlier, what happened to him on, on the basketball court. Sometimes it's uh, the doing of another person. It's another person's fault. Sometimes it's no fault of anyone. It's just, you know, natural loss taking place. Or we're just getting old. It's just something that has that happens. But whatever it is, We understand that we need to endure because there is a purpose for suffering, for for the difficulties, for the trials that we face, in that we can as well glorify God in all of this. Let's look at verse 2 first. The first thing that I would like us to really pay attention to as we endure our suffering that we have currently in our lives today is we need to understand that we need to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. You're probably thinking, this is foolish. This is just out there, Jay. How can we consider it pure joy when, for example, you know, uh, uh, Glenn talked about the accident that was in Saskatchewan involving the the Humboldt team bus that was T-boned by a transport truck. How can you look at that as pure joy? It's insane. But let's walk through this, and by the end we will understand that it's possible if we know exactly what joy stands for. Sometimes there, you know, there are a lot of things that, uh, you know, give us joy. There are a lot of things that, you know, make us glad. There are a lot of things that, uh, that uh, when we look at them, you know, it makes us really turned up, right? And many of the things that make us glad, like, you know, are like sort of, uh, you know, tied to the world. Like, I'll give you some examples that make me, like, glad, right? This picture makes me glad. Do you guys see what's going on there? You open the Nutella and there's nothing on the seal. Okay, another thing that, you know, can make us really, really sort of, you know, find joy in our hearts. Perfection. Organization. When you have, like, Two slices of cheese, perfectly fitting the sandwich. Wow. Right? Wow. And then when you have, you know, your alphabet soup, clearly arranged, A to Z. Wow, that's so good. And when we think about food, right, it makes us sort of glad inside, right? Like Jollibee, for example, makes me glad. There's two in Winnipeg right now, okay? But... How can trials be a source of joy for me? The question is, did Jesus consider it joy when he was suffering on the cross? Well, let's look at this verse. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There was this joy that was brought to Jesus that led him, that motivated him to endure the cross and scorn its shame. When we say considerate joy, it's not equal to happiness. Our joy in this world is not tied to anything physical. It's not tied to anything worldly. Not to Jollibee, not to like really organized alphabet soup, not any of that. The joy that we have in this world goes beyond that. The joy that we have in this world is tied to our hope in heaven. That whatever happens to us here in this world, and the worst thing that can happen to us here in this world, you know what? Is to die. When that happens, it's okay. Because we will be with Him in glory. That is the joy that is set in front of us. The joy that will enable us to look at suffering and trials and problems in a different way. Okay? Now, the next thing that James tells us for us to be able to endure the suffering is in verse 3. We need to know that our, our faith is being tested. When we go through all these things, our faith is being tested. And we just need to know that it produces perseverance. There's an example in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. When Paul and Silas went to Philippi, it's currently in Greece, still today. When they went there, they were preaching God, preaching Jesus. And when they were preaching Jesus, there's this young woman who, was, uh, who had spirits of fortune-telling. And they were, he, she was following them around everywhere, saying, These two people are from God, and they would tell you things whereby you would be saved. And that annoyed Paul. And he commanded the Spirit to leave the, the young woman. So the young woman can't tell fortunes anymore. And this is what happened next. Acts 16, 19-21. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. Continuing on in verse 22 and forward. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, Paul and Silas were preaching Jesus, and all of a sudden they find themselves stripped and beaten, severely flogged, we just talked about flogging earlier, thrown into prison and uh, fastened, with, uh, fastened to the stocks. If, you were, if we were Paul and Silas, what would we do? Would we hold our hands up in the air and say, I'm done with this. This is not happening to me. Forget this. See, in life, we experience so many problems. So many painful things that we have to go through. So many, so much suffering. Relationships with our children, spouses, work, physical, financial, social, emotional, mental, spiritual, so many things. And I just want to encourage us, all of us today... That whatever it is that we're experiencing, there is hope. Because there is joy. And our hope is tied with that joy. And what I'm going to show you next, will really capture it in verse 25. This is what Paul and Silas did when they were in the prison cell enduring the suffering. This is what they did. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. What would lead them to sing and pray to God with painful bodies. See the joy in their hearts Enable them to endure the suffering. Endurance is equivalent to not giving up. Go through the suffering because if we would not go through them, how would we develop patience? If at the first sight of somebody like spiting me and being, being rude to me, I go, ah, oh, I'm not going to have any of this. How can I develop patience? Be patient. Go through it for God, knowing that there's a reason for it. And the reason is this. Verse, two, verse 4 of James chapter 1. Let perseverance finish its work in us. So that we may be mature and complete, there's a reason for our suffering and trials, so we, we may be closer to God, so that we may be growing in our faith, so that we may be spiritually mature and complete. And the word "complete" here has, has this idea of like a tool that doesn't only do one or two things. Like a hammer can only hammer things, right? Or maybe take out nails because of the back of the two things. Like a two-trick tool. Complete here is being a multi-tool for God that can do many, many things. That is what spiritual maturity looks like in Jesus. And that happens when we go through the problems that we face and we don't give up. When we rise above it, Right? we become spiritually mature and complete. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, Though though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Sometimes it's so easy for us to be blindsided because we are so comfortable in Canada. It's amazing. I love it. This is where we are. We pat ourselves around so much comfort. It's not a bad thing, but the bad thing happens when we become disconnected with Christian suffering. When we see suffering as something that, we can't, we can't, we, that, that cannot benefit us, it benefits us. It tests our faith. Like, you know, traffic here in Winnipeg, for example. You know, sometimes, you know, we get so upset at traffic here in Winnipeg. Linda and I are not because we've seen so much worse. Traffic here in Winnipeg is amazing. Like, we were, uh, we lived in England for a time, for three years. And I remember, we were not even driving. We were at this uh, underground station. We got off at the underground station called Piccadilly Circus. We went up. And then we were stuck like this. And I looked here, there's a face here. I looked here, there's a face there. What is going on? Is there an accident? And you know what? It's just the hand, the walking, the the crosswalk, it's just red. And then it became green. We can all walk. We were walking like this. We were like traffic on the pedestrian lane. Like on the sidewalk. It was crazy. So... Suffering happens when we don't frame it to the joy that we have in heaven. When we don't understand that it actually helps us become closer to God. Right? When we ask a 70-year-old person, how many of you guys here are 70 or more than 70? I'm not. Right? It's amazing because you know, my, my parents are in their 70s and their you know, tastes have changed their priorities have changed even further things for them don't have any any more appeal when they when the doctors tell them that you know oh you have to do this because you're getting older and you're not getting any younger your death becomes certain and i remember my mom telling me when you understand that you really only have god left then suffering becomes even more poignant and something that really draws you closer to God we don't want to be in that we don't want to be we don't want to wait till we're 7 years old to understand that now what i'm going to do in the next few here is i want us to really gauge i know it's late but i'm sorry but i have to do this i want to encourage all of us to gauge our spiritual maturity when it comes to our suffering how have our suffering in our everyday lives matured us so far? I'm going to show you some pictures, and I want you to gauge your reaction to these pictures, because it would show the level in which we have matured. Okay. First picture. What do you think about this car right here? What emotions does that, does that draw in your heart? Somebody cutting in traffic. Does that ruin your day? Does that make you want to do bad things against that driver? How about when you go to a place and it's like there's no parking? Like you're looking for a parking spot and then you see this. <laughs> Does that ruin your day? Does that make your date night like bad? Because you're just so upset at this person you want to write a note and tell them how big of a jerk they are? See, all these point to a bigger to a bigger thing in our spirituality. It points to our spiritual maturity and completeness. What if you go to work and then you just want to have coffee and then you see this. The person did not put coffee back in the pot to refill it. Do you get upset at your coworkers, Or in love do we refill it even though we don't drink coffee? See, these things matter. These are the small things that become big things. And sometimes what we could do is this. Sometimes forgiveness and compassion go out the window. And when that happens, we are not suffering as Jesus uh, wanted us to suffer. And when that happens, we are lacking wisdom. When we don't see the connection between our suffering today in our eventual joy and hope in heaven. And how we can glorify God with the things that are going through in our lives today, we need wisdom. And according to this verse, we only need one thing to do. We need to ask God. And according to this verse, there's a promise. The promise is that God will give it to us. Give give us wisdom generously without finding fault. Do you know people who you go to and they go, I'm not going to give that to you because you asked that yesterday. I'm not going to give any of that anymore. You've done this, you've done that, no more. According to this verse, God will not condescend on us when we ask Him for wisdom. God, please, I, I hate when people cut in front of me. When things happen at work and I suffer because of it. Please give me wisdom so that I don't suffer anymore because of it. So I can see suffering as something that I have to go through to increase my patience and perseverance. God will give that to us. Simple. See, the things that we go through in this world are this small compared to our eternity. This is why Paul said in Philippians, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And this is the reason why Paul can say in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who in their right mind can say that? Christians can. When we live in this earth, it doesn't matter what we are going through. We go through it Living Christ with our hands, with our minds, with our feet, with our bodies, regardless of what everything else is doing around us. And then when we die, it's gain. Because we don't have to worry about waking up in the morning, we don't have to worry about flu shots for our kids. It's gain. This morning, the message is simple endure suffering like Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what he suffered for. This morning, if you're going to take one thing from this lesson, know that there's a reason for all of the trials that we face in life. To glorify God as we grow in our faith. This morning, if we can help you with anything, please come forward. We will pray for you. And if you need Jesus, if you need to put on Christ in baptism this morning, today is also the time. Let's stand as we sing the song of invitation.